This is the Master of Cinema cast. My name's Tom Jennings. And I'm Joachim Thiessen. And on today's episode, we are going to be having a look at the 1973 film, A Fantastic Planet. But before we get to that, Joachim, what's been going on in the news? The Masters of Cinema, they had a new limited offer that lasted until the 16th of May. Uh, and you could buy two or more items from their office page and you would get Vittoria De Sica's Shoeshine. And that's DVDs by number 33 for free. Yeah, I think that's kind of, um, I think it's quite important as well to kind of implore people really to buy directly from Eureka and Masters Cinema because I mean, I, I order most of my stuff from Amazon and um, one of the reasons why I don't sort of tend to, to go with these is because I've actually got all these films ready. But I mean, certainly I, I, if they're running these types of deals, I think it's a, you know, really kind of makes perfect sense to do that because I mean, having seen Tony, I don't know, have you actually ever seen Tony before? No, I have not. Um, and I haven't seen Shushan either, so well, it's a win-win. Yeah, both are certainly well worth picking up, especially Tony. I'm quite looking forward to doing that, actually. But um, that, that, that's kind of it, really. We've not had any kind of real announcements, have we? Any, any kind of new releases or anything like that, other than what we kind of talked about last time? No, not since we recorded the last time, yeah. Okay, okay. Now, this was a point which you kind of, um, kind of raised, and we were kind of dis- debating off-air whether or not we were going to include it. And it was something to do with, you know, putting the Master Cinema films on something like Mubi. Because uh, Criterion, they have their Hulu Plus page and they uh, made a new page on their homepage, um, not Hulu, but Criterion, making it a lot easier to like search for new titles and stuff because it's been really difficult on Hulu Plus. But I was then thinking if maybe Masters of Cinema should do something similar with uh, Mubi UK and have uh, like a um, team up of sorts where you can watch their films online and test the waters and see if that's, this is something you want to pick up. Yeah, because this was quite interesting actually because I know um, a, f- a friend of mine who was who was, was renting the films from Love Film, which is the, the UK equivalent of Netflix, I suppose. And actually, Master Cinema stopped putting their films out for rental. I think it started with the Iron Horse. Um, two or three years ago now and i read on their kind of twitter page at the time that the reason why they're stopping doing that was because they wasn't they weren't actually getting any money for it basically love film would essentially buy you know 30 odd copies of the films and that was it basically they wouldn't actually see any kind of income off that and i'm i I personally i mean i don't i i signed up to mubi last year i think it was and i wasn't overly impressed with it to be honest with you and the kind of the reason being was that i felt the quality of the streams really was pretty second rate and i i think it might be in the age because i've be kind of become accustomed to kind of blu-ray and things like that but I, I didn't even think that the the quality of the streams was even kind of dvd quality hmm. and I, i'm not convinced that well certainly at the moment that that would be kind of a good avenue for them to go around because i think if you're watching kind of older films as well i think it's all right when it's kind of contemporary but when it's older and the kind of the prints might not be in the best condition i don't think you're going to be seeing the ter- the film on the kind of the best terms available yeah, I would agree. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, you kind of you have the uh, a bigger market you could reach uh, for a lower dollar, uh, basically. So maybe you can raise some more awareness of the brand, but still you wouldn't you wouldn't have that quality that you would get when you buy a disc. Yeah, and certainly I think I, I think something as well for Master Cinema is that I, I you know I, I doubt very much they have a huge you know I don't I wouldn't imagine they sell you know 
millions upon millions mm. of DVDs and Blu-rays each year. And I, I think from their perspective, it would be perhaps kind of shooting themselves in the foot. You know, if people were kind of, you know, a lot of people blind buy discs. I know I certainly did. But if you could try them first and then thought, well, you know, I don't actually like that. You know, it's potentially losing a sale. And I, yeah. I'm not quite convinced at the moment this kind of streaming thing. It, it doesn't, it seems to be very poor in the UK, to be honest with you. I think that's one of the issues that I have. I have I'm yet to find one of these streaming services, which I think, you know, it's really good. I mean, perhaps another avenue for them would be, you know, kind of iTunes or something like that, rentals of that or purchases of that. But again, I think the thing about Mars Cinema is, you know, it's the booklets as well, I think, which are always kind of good value for money. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that the kind of the streaming on demand um, avenue is really the best place for them. I mean, Hulu Plus, I mean, I, I've dabbled with it in the past but i mean it's such a ball ache to get anything decent because you have to go through such a rigmarole to sort of change the settings so you can kind of watch the american stuff i mean you're kind of a bigger fan of that aren't you i mean do you find yourself watching quite a lot on it um i do watch uh, some of it uh, i find myself like having to be like when you when you're going to watch something that is um cinematically important if we can use that word it, you have to be in a certain mood i feel yeah and um just trying to go to hulu plus or choosing that or going to something like netflix where you can find more quote-unquote fun movies um i tend i tend to just click the netflix button but in terms of uh, ease of use and such um i have uh, something called unblock us that gives me access to us sites and i think it's i really like the availability of just trying out as like many of the eclipse mo- movies that uh, come out i don't buy them because um many times i just want to try out the movies and see what type of movies they are without having to buy the entire box set. And what's the quality like as well on those? It is HD quality, so uh, I'm quite pleased with um, with the streaming. Yeah, I mean, because I, mean, I have a love film. I still rent discs, basically, and I... I um love film has a streaming component and i mean i've tried to watch things on it before and i just sort of sit there and thinking it's not it's, it's not that it's unwatchable but they look like you know when you kind of used to see kind of like you know 700 megabyte rips of films they look more like that than they do you know decent kind of quality and it's kind of put me off and i i, I think this i think for film will go in that direction i've certainly been quite impressed with some of the stuff on apple tv the kind of the purchase making purchase of that but i think there's a long way to go yet before it's something that i kind of dive into it'd be interesting to see you know perhaps one day when we get someone from master cinema on this we can kind of talk about that as an option but i think that's kind of it kind of news wise and that kind of thing is it not yeah okay so we will burn on with this week's episode which is going to be a look at the 1973 film fantastic planet directed by rene leloup (laughs) a great success of time beautiful story we've long awaited. A fantastic animated French film. An event and a complete success. French masterpiece, Fantastic Planet. 
winner of the Special Grand Prix Cannes Film Festival, Special Jury Prize, Trieste Film Festival, Gold Medal Atlanta, First Prize Tehran. The world press acclaims Fantastic Planet. Okay, so we're going to be taking a look at the Fantastic Planet, and I, I'm rather thinking this might not be the longest of episodes because although I think uh, Joachim and I both kind of enjoyed this film, I think it's kind of quite hard to kind of delve massively into. But we're certainly going to give it our best shot. And before we kind of tuck into it, I'm going to give a brief synopsis of what this is actually about. So the film is set in the future where we have a race of human being-like creatures called Oms who live on the aforementioned fantastic or savage planet or whatever you want to call it now they are held as pets in some cases by human-shaped alien race the drags and it's worth mentioning at this stage that the oms are significantly smaller than the drags and some of the oms have been domesticated and some of them live in the wild and our narrator is an om named tar who is adopted as a baby by an adolescent drag named tiwa who who and her friends accidentally killed Tar's mother. Now, Tar manages to escape enslavement and takes with him a kind of drag learning device which he's used to educate the savage Oms living in the forest nearby. He becomes the feral Oms leader and eventually leads them to a revolt against the drags and they all take off from the planet in a rocket and quite frankly the film gets rather bizarre from there on in. Now I think it's kind of worth kind of just kind of taking stock a little bit at the moment because what what are your kind of thoughts on animation in general? Are you kind of like a big fan? I am a big fan of the uh, Studio Ghibli films and their animation. The Disney films, I have uh, less of a nostalgia for. Um, but uh, those two are... I'm not really into this... Uh, alternative animation or this underground i've just been exposed to the to the mainstream uh, animation basically yeah i mean i i've always been kind of i've I've not kind of ever been for a phase of being obsessed with animation i didn't go through the kind of like when i was a 16 year old kind of in my adolescence whatever being kind of into kind of the anime which so many of my friends seem to do and i found myself kind of getting into the kind of the disney stuff kind of later on in life really but I think one of the reasons why I, I, I like the Master Cinema Collection so much is that they have included these types of film in it because I think sometimes you know when we think about cinema we t- we, we we tend I think sometimes animation tends to get kind of pushed to the peripheral but I mean not being kind of a massive connoisseur of it I didn't really kind of I don't really know where yeah I don't, I don't know where he kind of sits in kind of the, the you know in in terms of you know how important he is to kind of animation in general you know, kind of how kind of how he's regarded within that community so. You know, as I was kind of researching this, I kind of tried to do a little bit of digging, and it, it it seems that I think there's kind of people kind of have an affection for his work, but it doesn't seem to be kind of like you know, worshipped in the in the same way, kind of you know, films like kind of like Akira and things like that. And I think it's worth you know mentioning that this film won the kind of the special jury prize at Cannes, didn't it? Yeah, in 1973. So it's quite extraordinary that an animation film picks up such a high regarded prize. Because I, I, I honestly don't think I could see that happening now. I mean, something perhaps like Waltz with Bashir mm. might, you know, have kind of like uh, kind of done that. But I mean, it, it seems, that it, yeah, it's extraordinary now, I think, to, to think that this film you know, could have won that award. Why do you think, you know, I mean, obviously we kind of talked about this film being you know, winning an award at Cannes. But why do you think you know, Masters of Cinema have chosen these, you know, these films by René LaRue? Because there are another two in the collection as well. Why do you think they've kind of been included in the collection? I think they serve as an alternative view 
to animation as opposed to Disney and Studio Ghibli in particular, where they are like the works of uh, Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. It it's sort of the similar vein as those because it's very concerned with political and social issues and especially like environmental issues. But this is way more focused towards adults where uh, animation from Pixar and Disney and Studio Ghibli, the animation style is more it's more uh, towards uh, children, basically. Yeah, and I think that's quite an important point to make because it is they are very much adult films i mean especially kind of the fantastic planet i mean in just you know going back to the opening we kind of see kind of like you know breasts and kind of you know scantily clad women don't we? Mm. it's quite it's it's quite strange when you sort of you know, when you are like you said, i mean the last kind of animated film i think i saw was something like monsters inc and <laughs> you know it's just this kind of you know it's all kind of very colorful and kind of childlike and then suddenly you kind of get into this and it's completely you know it is kind of kind of very kind of left field as it were and kind of what were your sort of initial kind of thoughts when you actually saw this the fantastic planet the first time i saw it i was like taken aback by the cruelty of the action of it where especially that first opening where uh that woman is just being flicked uh, down the hill again and again and it, it, it seems just so incredibly cruel and you're not sure in the beginning what are the protagonists here because you're thinking that um, this woman running across the screen, that's the one that we're going to follow or those sort of kinds of people we're going to follow. And there's this huge, huge blue monster that just flicks it across um, the ground like an ant or something. And you're kind of taken aback by the like the scope that the storytelling is taking from the start. Yeah, I mean, that opening, I mean, I, I found it to be... Like I said, I found it to be incredibly disturbing. And I also found it to be, I actually felt incredibly guilty when I was watching it. Because mm. I mean, I remember as a child, my, my friends and I stirring up ants' nests and then just basically stamping on them. And, you know, it was like sport in those days. And when I think back to it, it's absolutely barbaric. Now, you obviously can go with the uh, the, the kind of argument they're only ants, as it were. But, you know, and I, I'm sort of watching it, obviously, because the oms look so human. You suddenly think, you know, you know, this poor thing. And then, you know, they accidentally kill it. And obviously the baby's left, uh, who obviously who becomes tired and obviously in you know, the kind of the center of the story. But yeah, I was quite disturbed by it, to be honest with you. And I suppose the other thing as well that got me was the soundtrack that kind of comes into it as well, because it is a, it's a fairly incredible soundtrack, isn't it? I never heard anything like that before. I don't listen to much avant-garde jazz, but this is something that is just so out of left field. And yet it feels very very compatible with the science fiction element of this story. Yeah, and it also seems that it, it kind of seems a little bit odd. Uh, odd. I, I thought it seemed a little bit odds with it tonally because you see, say here you have this kind of woman being kind of well, basically she ends up being killed accidentally, mm. and then you have this sort of it's like lounge core jazz playing over this whole thing. <laughs> it kind of knocked me for six, and I was sort of sat there thinking like, you know, I don't know quite what to make of this this type of work, and. I think one of the main issues that I had with this film was really kind of what to kind of make of this narrative. Yeah, I. it's difficult to like summarise this as a movie. You can summarise it as a story, but trying to tell how the movie develops is quite difficult because it's it's basically like segments that are put together, like thinly thinly connected segments that are put together into a movie. And it's more of a 
like an uh, etymological film, like an anthropological film, in yeah. that it's trying to uh, describe something more than showing us any com- uh, character development or something like that. Yeah, I mean, because that, that, that's the thing, because I mean, like, the Oms, really, I, I think you should feel a lot more kind of sympathy for them than you do. And when kind of Tar gets out there in kind of the, you know, the, 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 uh, the kind of the wastelands, wherever it is, where he kind of meets up with them, when he does meet them, there isn't this sort of, I suppose the, the comparison that's so easy to make with this film, it's a bit like Avatar in a way. Mm. And one of the things about Avatar, because it's so simple and such a basic film, kind of on its story level, you could have have this instant kind of, you, know, you didn't see know who the bad guys are, you didn't see know who the good guys are. This, I, I think it's a lot harder to really kind of make those types of kind of categories you know I, it's like the, the the drags are kind of you know you sort of you sympathize with Tira obviously because she seems like you know a, a vaguely nice drag you kind of liked her but when he kind of like meets up with all these guys and they're kind of like fighting amongst themselves the oms and you, you just sort of think who who i don't understand wh- where i'm meant to be positioning or what i'm meant to kind of feel about what is going on in the film and I found that to be quite kind of distancing in a way from the actual kind of like like you said already the, with this sort of like lack of narrative so to speak. I found myself kind of a, a, a kind of a distance between me and this film started to kind of develop. Yeah, I experienced the same thing, but I think that the film that Lalu is trying to make is more of an intellectual argument more than the emotional argument, and he's trying to hit towards how we think about us, our place in the world. Uh, and not so much trying to th- uh, just going for that uh, raw emotion that we are used to getting from movies. Yeah, I think it's quite important at this stage as well. Just to kind of, I think you know this film was made in Czechoslovakia. It was actually, um, I believe, it was made in Prague. And I, I've read a lot of kind of um, reviews of it and kind of people talking about it where they say it's about, you know, kind of the Soviet um, occupation of the Eastern European states. And I'm currently watching the, the brilliant Ted Turner series, The Cold War. And you can kind of see that where you have kind of like, you know, this kind of old and you know, powerful enemy, which is kind of like treading on the kind of the, you know, the the weak, as it were. And that's certainly, I think, you know, a, a comparison, an allegory, sorry, you can make between the kind of the the drags and the oms and the fact that the drags are so kind of technically superior they have obviously have you know kind of the the might to kind of crush the oms but i don't think it's that basic a comparison i think if you do that i think it, I, that seems to me to be a little bit more simplistic and I, I i wasn't sure kind of how far down the rabbit hole of interpretation to go when i was thinking about the film was that something you were kind of suffering from as well i found it difficult to like pinpoint what exactly he's alluding to, because I think he's alluding to uh, the entire human development. And I think he's trying to uh, go for a bigger grasp than just the Soviet uh, occupation. Like the Nazi um, with the gas chambers and such, you have this, just this threat of extermination that is looming over the film. And I think... He's trying to say something more than just the communist development or something more than just World War Two. I think it's uh, an argument towards uh, how we are as people and how we develop as a human race and how we treat um, beings that we deem lesser than ourselves. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm pleased you said that kind of like, you know, about being lesser than ourselves, because here's the thing that I didn't quite understand is you have the drags. Now, surely they can see that the oms are actually quite intelligent mm. i didn't I, cu- I couldn't work out why they couldn't see that and also i didn't really understand why the kind of they thought the oms were such a, a threat to them it, it's 
it is strange because because it's a film where I'm sat there watching it and you begin to ask kind of about you know questions about kind of what you're kind of seeing and I couldn't quite work out as well the fact that we kind of see the om the, the, the drags know that the, the, the oms have a homeworld because we actually see it as I believe don't we we see like this kind of like a, abandoned civilizations yeah where we are witnessing these uh, decaying cities. Yeah, so obviously the Oms are kind of, you know, they're kind of clever enough to make cities and this kind of thing. And as we kind of see at the film, you know, they can kind of harness rocket power. Yeah, so, suddenly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we'll get to that. But um, yeah, it, 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 a lot of this film, I, it, it, didn't make, it didn't make sense to me, really, in, in many respects. I felt kind of there were too many kind of, not kind of plot holes, but there were too many questions within the narrative. But I feel like there's, there is discussion within the um, drag community that some people are thinking of them as more developed than others are. Uh, because th- there is this um, like auditorium where they're having a, a debate on the big screens. And uh, some people are arguing that they are uh, positioning themselves as uh, protectors of the OMS, basically. Uh, because some are arguing that they should uh, up the uh, deominization to once per cycle or something. And uh, others are vehemently against that. Yeah, but I, I still found yeah. myself, again, really sort of questioning, like, to, as, as well, kind of where my kind of sympathies lay with the film. Because like I said, you know, the Oms aren't kind of, they're not, they don't, they're not presented as being overly noble, are they? I mean, the first thing they do when kind of terrorised with them is that they end up having, you know, basically making him fight to the death against another Om, don't they? Mm. They have that kind of bizarre leader who has um, what looks like a... Um, squid on his head <laughs> and it's like and i know they're kind of like trying to kind of you know present them as being kind of like simple but you're sort of thinking you know it's, it's a strange film where you're kind of like looking at kind of both races thinking i'm not overly keen on either of you and you know i suppose we kind of naturally side with turks you tend to when you have a narrator i think you tend to i mean no matter how kind of despicable the person is you t- you tend to kind of identify with them more than the kind of any other character not only that but they are they look like us and i think lalu he does that intentionally where he he makes the lesser beings in our picture so instead of god creating us in his image we are now the lesser beings on the planet and i think that is um intentional device that he's using and we were talking about how they are more savage and i think that that is also an intentional grip or intentional thing that he's using that he's portraying them as these uh cave people basically where they are very very rural and they are uh, attired in these uh, loose clothing and we can see their breasts and whatnot and it, it's just bringing up these um, ancient images of um, what we think of as cave people yeah and I, in a way the kind of the savagery is reflected in the, the kind of the drags with this kind of like the deomnization which mm. is basically you know it's a genocide isn't it in many respects and you know again i don't want to kind of go down the kind of the kind of the the, the rabbit hole of over interpretation but when i was watching that you know you, you can draw kind of comparisons with you know things like the kind of you know what happened in australia with the aborigines you know america the native americans you know like you said you know they were kind of deemed you know well in fact the native americans were were deemed to be savages that was how they were often called and you know, mm. therefore kind of deserved to be kind of wiped off the, the planet and perhaps you know it, it, you know that is certainly it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the kind of the intentions that they were having but it's a, it's a very similar to uh planet of the apes yes and there is a that was also written by a french author pierre boulet uh, but it's just, uh, it's hard to see this movie without thinking of Planet of the Apes. It's a, kind of a different um, attack on the same story, I feel. 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I it it shows. I mean, I, I remember you know I mentioned Avatar, but I think it shows how kind of this particular type of story, how often it repeats itself in kind of television, film, hmm. you know, novel, comic, whatever. You know, it is it's it, it's a fairly kind of classic tried story, isn't it? I think this sort of the you know the little man versus the big man type of a type of a film and it, it's it's strange because when, when i was watching i mean I, i'm a big believer that you know I, I don't mind seeing a film which has a very very familiar story i mean for, for example i watched uh rust and bone the other day and that was a film where i, I was watching i thought to myself oh this you know, this is really original this film when, when it got to the end i thought no well no it's not really it's you know it's it's got every kind of cliche you can possibly imagine <laughs> the box the boxer and the estranged son you know the hmm. the uh the, the girl who's had an accident who can't bear to look at herself and it, but it packaged it in such a way that come the end of the film i was like wow that was really really good and it's just you know it's just as long as you tell the story well i think you know you can kind of make up for kind of lack of originality I feel that that is what sets this movie apart, the way it conveys the story, because this is more of a, it doesn't go to our emotions, as we say, but it, it's more about the dispassionate approach. And it kind of, it's, it's this balancing act between, uh, are we supposed to be sympathetic or apathetic towards what is happening on the, um, on the, on the screen? And we, we're not, we're not sure if he's supposed to, or if he wants us to care about it because uh at times it feels like he wants us to be at a distance and other times he wants to uh, engage us more and it's just this uh, back and forth between um between sympathy and apathy that i think is it's very interesting to experience this film it's unlike anything i've ever watched before yeah, and I think you make a really good point because I mean, this is after all, it's a science fiction film, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, it, it does it does have kind of it it manages to kind of also have kind of like you know trappings of the genre. I mean, we have kind of you know kind of crazy kind of this this learning device that they use, mm. which is you know it's, it's something out of Star Trek or something like that. And I think <laughs> when you sort of you know, it has those kind of genre trappings about it, you know, there is a lot more kind of in there for you to enjoy, but. I mean, this is one of the kind of the, the repeated criticisms I've seen about this film is that it's kind of this sort of it's it's a bit hippified or it's a bit you know kind of psychedelic and it's you know basically kind of making a case for kind of hippie culture and I can pl- I don't agree with any of that at all to be honest with you I didn't think I, I actually think it's quite kind of it satirizes kind of um, conventional living and alternative lifestyles as well. Yeah, uh, I read in the um, in the booklet, uh, Craig Keller wrote an essay for this film, and he says that there are barely veiled uh, references to the benefits of getting high, and uh, it seems like this is more of a like a satirical view of the hippie culture, as you said, and I feels like he he's looking at the the drugs culture as more of a he's looking at them with contempt and disdain rather than. Like uh, lifting them up to something more, uh, like celebrating their their meditation or their culture, in uh, and there's this ironic contrast between their elevated, more technological, um, developed community and how they are treating the Oms like this savage way. Yeah, and I, I think that's such a good point because I mean, I, I it's we're kind of the Oms, you know, that they're, they're, they're this kind of race of people that are facing this kind of. In, in an extermination and yet they can't even seem to kind of organize themselves in such a way that they the first thing they seem to want to do is have a fight 
Mm. You know, they've got this kind of awful thing about to happen. And, you know, I, I think it's a kind of, you know, kind of the priorities really is completely kind of messed up. And I think kind of Lurie's sort of like, I, I think he's having a kind of a pop at this sort of, you know, perhaps kind of things like religion and and you know, alternative lifestyles. I mean, for example, I just read a, a Sam Harris book and he was talking about the, after the invasion of Iraq and sort of as the kind of the country was in ruins, the first thing Shia Muslims did was come out on the street and then start, you know, flailing themselves, which would seem if you, if your country's kind of like in this kind of absolutely distressed state, doing that would seem secondary. And I think that's kind of, it's one of the things I noticed about this film was that, that the fact that the Oms just seem to be kind of, kind of almost kind of ambivalent to what's going on around them. And they don't really kind of seem overly bothered by the kind of the bigger pressing concerns which are going on in their society. And it takes kind of Tara, as it were, to kind of like lead them to some sort of kind of resolution and salvation from the drags. And the other thing about the kind of the drags is as well, is this, uh, you know, this meditation and the, the kind of going off on these kind of trips as it were, because, it seems to me we sort of we get a, an answer why they do that as sorts in the end, but mm. it kind of seems they spend most of their lives kind of in this kind of like drugged up state and not really doing very much, like not paying much attention to their children or other kind of things. And it, it sort of reminded me, you know, perhaps one of the reasons why they're so kind of ambivalent towards the Oms is because they haven't really got time to kind of actually think about them that much at all. Yeah, because you don't you don't see them like working or something. No, it, it's I don't get a grasp of how like the society works so um it's kind of uh, a mystery to us yeah when i i, I mean i i remember i had i had seen the film before at university and i remember some of the people who i knew there who, who sort of kind of like held it up as being this kind of you know a great film to smoke pot to <laughs> and i sort of thought that you know having seen it again you know in preparation for this episode i thought it's exactly the type of film that you wouldn't want to do that to because i think it's sort of really from the television or, or the screen as it were it's actually saying well this is kind of taking the piss out of your sort of bohemian lifestyles but moving on i mean what do you think about the kind of the animation style as well in this film i can i kind of love it uh, because yeah. the tidy cutesy style of like uh, disney and to a certain extent, the Ghibli animation also, um, it can get a bit too uniform. And I think these, uh, this animation style from, um, Lalu, this, like, Eastern, uh, block pop art, because if you look at, like, Polish uh, movie posters from the 70s and stuff, you can see that, uh, this is, like, the similar, similar vein. We have this, uh, like, storybook sketch animation uh kind of like um monty python and terry gilliam yeah because the, the main artist on this film was a chap called um roman toper as i understand and he he's he's like i say his work is completely the opposite I mean, like i said i think the last sort of animated film i watched was um monsters inc and it, yeah, it's so bright coming off the screen i mean it literally you know, it's just most it's you know so garish almost hmm. and then when you watch this and it's completely it's quite well, it's quite sparse. I mean, I've watched the um, uh, the, the the Masters, the other film, one of the other films in the collection, and in both instances, it's extremely kind of subdued, isn't it? The the actual artwork, yeah, and and it's this sort of flat animation as well. It doesn't have much, although there is a kind of a depth to it. I don't think it's sort of. I I'm not necessarily sure it's actually kind of actually that bothered by the kind of the depth you see in the image. It seems quite flat. Yeah, and uh, not only that, but uh, like the the movements are very stuttery, so yes. uh, it's very crude in its animation style. But I think he's 
Uh, I think he mentions in the interview that he's crude in the animation, but uh, highly developed in the storytelling. Whereas, like Disney, is very highly developed in the animation, but crude in the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I would I don't, not necessarily. I'd use the word crude. I think perhaps more sort of. I, I don't know. Perhaps basic would yeah. be the word. I, I mean, yeah. I, 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 mean, I say that. I say that like I could, I could draw anything like that. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it's still ridiculously impressive. And this is the thing as well. I mean. One of the reasons why I mean I, I love the sort of the early um, Disney films the, the the sort of the you know the pre sort of anything kind of pre nineteen seventy really because you you can you can see yeah, the the art every frame is a work of art mm. and I certainly think that with um, the Fantastic Planet I, it's you know on their own these um, these these images perhaps are, look incredibly surreal but I think there's also kind of a beauty to them which um, I, I think we sort of lack there I, I can't imagine anyone making an animation film like this again. No, I can't. it's like um, A Scanner Darkly is basically the closest thing I would feel. It's not similar in animation, but it's similar in the themes it attacks and um, the alternative animation style, even though it's like on the other end of the spectrum, so to say. But I, I feel like um, this sort of cinema is uh, not something we get a lot these days. You might get, I mean, I sometimes see the odd short film where, you know, it's obviously been hand animated and, um, you know, I actually worked with someone who, who did, who did animation. They basically just use kind of pencils to do it. And it, you know, it, it's very kind of, um, it's very impressive, but just the sheer, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a long film, is it? I mean, it's saying something like 72 minutes mm. or something like that, but you can imagine this film took a very long time to make and, you know, the sort of the love and care that went into it. And, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, I suppose, to put all my, that much love and care into something that has such a kind of, that is so sort of left field, I think, you know, because I, you know, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't imagine this film's going to make um, a great deal at the box office. I know um, Gandahar and, as I said, The Masters, they were kind of quite big hits in France, but it, it's a lot of effort for something which probably didn't, had quite a limited um, commercial appeal. Is it uh, the Masters or Time Masters? Time Masters, yeah, I think. Sorry, yeah, but I mean, um, you know, even those. I mean, the, the, you can see the, the sort of the, the thematic elements and the kind of stylistic elements in in both of those films mm. and how, how it kind of carries over into this. But so, how do you feel about the ending of the film? Because I feel like up until the uh, the hour mark, it's very much setting up the world, and I don't I don't feel it's pushing towards a ending. But after the one hour mark, it kind of rushes the ending. I feel. Yeah, this is something which I, I, I was acutely aware of watching at this time in that we sort of, it's a strange kind of conundrum really because it, when you get to that final kind of moments in films, you can, some of the films where I think I kind of like think lesser of them are ones that have kind of sort of not so great endings. And I think the problem with The Fantastic Planet was it's almost like they kind of got slightly lost in the world Mm. And was sort of you have that scene, like I said, where the, the Oms are kind of they make kind of tough fights to the death in, in that bizarre scene where he has that those those like insects strapped to his chest, and you're sort of thinking, is this entirely necessary, really? Because it doesn't see it seems that you know, given how kind of rushed the ending suddenly becomes, because you know they all pack off to this kind of abandoned um, rocket. Mm. dumping yard by the looks of things then it kind of like skips like 30 years or something like that doesn't it yeah, and 15 years suddenly, 15 years yeah and they've suddenly you know they can suddenly build rockets now and then the next thing you know they're flying off and the next thing you find out why the the drag so spend so much time meditating which is for a slightly bizarre reason <laughs> and i'm sat there thinking well whoa, whoa, whoa you know hang on you know where's all this come from and 
you know, it, it's an ending of sorts, but it certainly wasn't the ending that I expected. And really, I, I, I didn't really enjoy either. No, I feel it's, uh, like I said, it's too rushed. So we don't get any satisfying explanation. It just keeps on, he keeps on dumping information on us and then it's uh, abruptly ended, basically. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, the final image, uh, I would like to talk about that afterwards. But uh, yeah, you were saying. Yeah, no, it just seems like they were sort of like, oh, here we are. Yeah, let's just draw loads of nice stuff and oh, we better end this now. And then they just sort of gone, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, it seems, it seems everything seems like an afterthought. Mm. That And I, I, yeah, I was left a little bit disappointed and I, I felt like, the film kind of deserves a better ending. I think they're going to, it deserves something a little bit more fulfilling. And I, I don't think it gets that at all. It, 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 I, I don't know, perhaps they kind of run out of money or something like that. That's one of the things I was thinking of because it seemed all these reveals that happened, th- th- it seemed that there was more to them than just what they were saying. And it's just, you know, it, yeah, it's a bit like, I suppose, you know, making the Lord of the Rings for the first hour, just have Bilbo, you know, getting ready to go or whatever, or, you know, sorry, Frodo and then the next half hour just going oh we're here now bang rings in the thing an hour and a half thanks cheers you know you'd be like well what where's this other story you know and, and that's how it felt to me and um yeah yeah I I I I personally think there must be a bigger reason why the ending's like that I I, I you know if anyone out there kind of knows the kind of more of the background of this film then do let us know but I, I I personally think that there's something else going on which I think perhaps had something to do with the money or just kind of pressures they were under to get it out yeah it's based on a series of books written by Stefan Wool and uh, it must it has to be a bigger story behind this so yeah I would be interested to know that as well and you're going to kind of, you want to talk about the kind of the final image yeah because of this film. Um, when we see like uh, the last scene of this movie is a um, drag uh, child she's being taught the history of the om and drag war basically and when the camera pans out from her forehead where we can see um, images of the film uh, she's holding this uh, new pet which isn't an om but it's just a replacement for an om. It's uh, like a lizard or something. And it, I think that's... It, it seems like they haven't learned anything, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, one of the things I was going to say, actually. I, I, I feel this film sort of, in a way... And I'm going to go out on a limb here, but having seen Cloud Atlas, which is kind of the, kind of the premise of, of Cloud Atlas is that kind of, kind of humans kind of repeat the same kind of errors over and over again, really. Mm. And I thought that this was making the same kind of point that you know they've been through this kind of awful war and whatnot and it looks like another one's just going to start again and i i suddenly began to think you know like that i read a brilliant book by niall ferguson um called war of the century which was basically what went on the premise that the last century was just one continual war for more or less the kind of the same reasons over and over and over again and i i began thinking about that as i watched that ending and i in a way it's kind of disappointing because really what you want at the end of this film is the kind of them you know the, the drag sort of you know we're going to change and <laughs> you know that that's sort of you know let's 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 learn from this and basically what the film's sort of saying is yeah they've been through all this but it's kind of business as usual they're going to have pets again and you know there's a high probability that this might happen all over again yeah. and i think it's quite it's, i think it's quite a bleak ending in many respects very much so so it was interesting because i didn't catch that the first time i saw it but i, I noticed it when i watched it earlier today that suddenly oh she's holding something in her hands and it was just this uh it changed the entire view of the movie for me yeah and i think because you want really i mean it's like um I suppose the drags are the ones who, who you assume have got the kind of the most intelligence. 
but again i I think you're kind of being encouraged really to perhaps look at the kind of the world we're in at the moment i mean the the west likes to think itself as being kind of so much more superior to kind of you other nations but I, i don't think in many respects we're any better at all really it's kind of fairly kind of we always kind of seem to be doing the kind of the same idiotic things over and over and i got the impression that it was kind of asking us to perhaps have a kind of a bit of a think about that Mm. and yeah you know it it doesn't leave you with a triumphant feeling does it i think i'd be interested to know kind of in the novels or anything like that you know does the story continue or you know i I certainly think it might be kind of worth i'm I'm intrigued to find out if there's kind of anything else you know does this does the, the the novels end there as it were or is there a little bit more you know what's the kind of the history of the kind of the om drag war you know does it continue because as i understand the drugs they the so the oms go and make they, they live on like a mechanical planet don't they when they escape you think yeah 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 yeah, yeah so uh it would be interesting to know if their their civilization developed even further and how how their view of their own powers change uh with the development of new technology so i mean kind of like wrapping up really i mean kind of overall what what's your kind of feelings on the fantastic planet it's a strange one because I I really like talking about it and I like thinking about the themes and what is uh, what is it saying and how uh, how is it attacking its uh, issues. But uh, watching it, it can be a bit hard because you're kept at such a distance. You're not really engaged emotionally, and yeah, it's something I when I watch movies, I. Uh, I like movies that make me feel something and it's disturbing, but I'm not really rooting for any of the characters. But as a film, I think, I think it's a, a very good film. I think it's a fantastic film, but it is an oddity for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, it's one of those ones where it's a, it's not an easy film. No, I think that's, that's, that's kind of the overriding thing I took from it. I, I'd have to be in the mood to watch it again and. I don't know when that mood would occur or under what circumstances I would suddenly sit there and think to myself, I want to watch a kind of challenging piece of animation with a lounge core soundtrack. I don't recall kind of, (laughs) that's not a regular mood I seem to be in, but it's definitely an oddity. And I think it's well worth kind of checking out because like like we've kind of said repeatedly over the course of this episode, you simply don't get films like this anymore. They're not, there's, there doesn't seem, there's not, I can't imagine there's, there's not much demand for them. And I, you know, I can't see kind of, mainstream studios kind of backing the thing i do think kind of perhaps this would be the type of kind of animation style you're kind of seeing kind of independent like i said you know people who want to kind of show off their skills and things like that but mm. i i love it i think i love it the most for the animation i i think it really kind of it just massively impresses me when you kind of see you know the, the time and effort that goes into creating something like this and you know without sounding kind of wishy-washy and all kind of horrible and pretentious you know it's it, it's a work of art in its own right i think and it's it's something that should be kind of cherished and i'm just really glad that you know master of cinema kind of picked these ones out because again as we said before these type of films that slip under the cracks i think when it comes to kind of format changes and that that they can just be kind of consigned to history as it were and kind of just end up on crappy vhs copies and you know thankfully you know we've got this wonderful blu-ray to uh, treasure forever and you know, just talking about that what did you used to kind of find about the kind of the, the, the actual package itself in terms of uh, video and like the picture quality i think it looks uh, really good i don't know how it looks on the because this is a reissue of the film and I'm not sure how uh, it looks on uh, DVD uh, the first time it came out. But now I think it looks uh, really good in terms of just the colours. And it feels like this is uh, true to filmmaker's intention. 
yeah, I mean, I did a, a quick comparison between the two, and uh, yeah, I, I, this is a massive improvement. I, 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 and it, they've you know resisted the urge. You could have kind of really amped up the kind of the, you know made the drags really blue and mm. you know kind of and they haven't. They've kind of been incredibly faithful to kind of what was there, and it, it certainly works in the film's favour. I mean, um, one of the, I think the best kind of feature on the test is you get like the um, the soundtrack for the film, yeah. which is certainly you know, if you have a kind of yeah, if you're interested in soundtracks in general, you know this is certainly one that is worth checking out. There's lots of um, short films as well, which I I did check out and I quite enjoyed lots of those. And I, I, but I think the best part of actually is the the booklet. I think it's a fascinating read actually. It's in you know, 56 pages as it were, and uh, yeah, I, I really got into that. I think it's a really kind of worthwhile companion to the film. And bizarrely enough, I actually think I would probably be inclined to read the booklet before I watch the film because I think it kind of um, enriches the viewing experience, kind of knowing a few of the, kind of the background details behind it. Mm. It's worth noting that uh, there's also an interview with Lulu, uh, and that was what I thought was most interesting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just this uh, background story of uh, how he started his work at a psychiatry clinic and making his first short films with schizophrenic patients. And you can see how like uh, mental illness and sorts that it seems to inform his animation style and also um, La Planète Sauvage. Also, the kind of the sound options in the film, it had a DTS 2.0 master audio soundtrack, and uh, I thought the sound was really good, actually. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've got quite a decent setup at home, and um, I had it kind of booming out, and uh, it really kind of adds to the experience. And like I said, I think it's a perfect mixture of kind of visuals and sound, and from that respect, I think it was a, you know, a really, just a really decent package. And I've seen it going for about £10, I think, on Amazon, so it's not even that much to pick up. The bad news is, though, um, it's actually a Region B disc so you would need to have kind of the software and the wearable if you wanted to buy it um, uh, from abroad and kind of be able to see it. We uh, talked about the uh, covers a couple of um, uh, episodes ago but I think this cover is uh, really good actually for uh, the Fantastic Planet. Yeah I mean it's I mean it basically contains everything you need to know about this film I think Mm. really the sort of the the kind of the otherworldliness of it and uh, really kind of the the, certainly, the size between the uh, you know, the the oms and the drags, yeah. as it were. I, yeah, I do, and I like I like the font as well. Mm. Um, it's uh, a very unique font, and I think you obviously you can go and go, go a little bit too much on kind of things like that. But no, I, I certainly, I yeah, it's a it's a great looking disc, and um, it's certainly one that um, it's it, it's well, I think one of the most unique films in the collection. Put it that way. Yeah. Just to kind of um, give some perspective, the original um, pressing of this. The, the actual original DVD is actually going for like £35 at the moment on Amazon, whereas the Blu-ray is going for £11. So, um, yeah, definitely you'll be saving yourself a fortune if you pick up the Blu-ray. And just to let you know as well that the Blu-ray comes with a DVD and that DVD is actually NTSC. So you would be able to watch it abroad. But that's going to be it for this episode of the Master Cinema Cast. Joachim, where can they find us? They can go to our website, moccast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on Twitter, uh, that is uh, at moc underscore cast, or write us an email at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr and uh, Instagram as well. Um, if you want to get in contact with me, you can find me on my other podcast as well, which is the 24 Framescast. That's 24framescast.blogspot.com, and you can email me at 24framescast.com at gmail.com so many thanks for listening and if you could as well um we kind of asked you before is if you can leave us a review on itunes because it really does help kind of um get the show out there and kind of get more subscribers to it we'd be extremely grateful if you could do that it is like if you're living in a country where 99 percent of the population don't vote 
and you the one percent if you vote you have um very very much influence on what is rising to the top of the charts and what is what just stays on the bottom yeah and certainly i think one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is because i think there is a real lack of podcasts out there that talk about kind of more alternative side of cinema and i know it sounds kind of self-important to an extent but i i do think it's good we need to kind of break the monopoly of the kind of the weekly review shows and things like that. I, I think it's uh, that there's there's too many of us kind of kind of bubbling under the surface, really. And there's, we can kind of get shows out there, which I think will show people a kind of a different side to cinema. OK, so that's going to be it. We will be returning um, shortly with a look at Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. So many thanks for listening and we will be in contact soon. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.